forever. Eternity. You don't need people anymore. Nothing you can do about it. Content. Nothing you can do. Content. You will be mashed up, cut up, repackaged for someone else's need. And the world's largest media company <laughs> creates no content. Yeah, we're not producing the content. We're allowing users to, to share. I hereby declare this to be an unlawful assembly. I want to know what they're talking about amongst themselves. And I want to spread that content to the people who aren't this content yet. It's normal for some things to come to your attention. And we're back for another episode of Are We Content? Where I'm your host. They call me Mr. X indeed, but you can call me Chud. All right, look. In the year of 1999, all the way back before the new millennium, I was a very different person for one thing. Uh, I had a book on my shelf called Chaos and Cyberculture, if I remember the title correctly, written by Timothy Leary. I was all for the tech revolution that was moving forward. I read that book and I saw the internet, the internet of things as a wild, wild west, a place for artists to express themselves and do anything they wanted. And as a we'll say fringe punk rocker type. I was definitely in the minority. I was the contrarian voice talking about the internet as a positive thing. Everyone else was just like, ah, fuck that. We don't need anything like that. But I came from a background with a book like that on my shelf, as well as a father who attended the University of Chicago in the late 60s. And he worked on computers in the late 60s, the big old things that took up a whole room and were a different, a different beast than what we deal with today, or we're even dealing with in 1999. And he was in 19, in 1995, even he was working for some, he was working for Boeing and some other big companies doing uh, like security software and things like that. And as we started hearing about this idea of y2k coming around the corner on january 1st of 2000 he put any concerns that i may have had which i didn't but he put them to rest right away with his knowledge of computers and systems telling me that it was really not going to be a big deal um and i might explain that a little bit better as we as we go through this episode but uh for now i just want to say that as that moment approached, I actually did get a little scared. My, my concerns were not still at rest on December 31st of 1999. Um, I was living in Nevada, uh, just outside of Las Vegas, and shit got really fucking weird. And it got weird in a way that looking back, it was pretty identical to what we went through in 2020. The mad dash to the grocery store was going crazy. I didn't really realize it was happening. I heard the news, but suddenly on December 30th, I went to go pick up some coffee and the, and the shelves were bare. People were freaking out. And the night of New Year's Eve that night, there was a borderline riot in the neighborhood I was in. I was in a low class part of, uh, I think it was within Las Vegas, but it was where all the caretakers lived. If you know what I mean, I mean to say that it was all Mexicans uh, and People were just having a huge party. It was a party like you've never fucking seen. Like I have not seen since. 
I mean, I've seen some pretty big parties, but this was one that was on the streets. There were people climbing up on stoplights and they were screaming and yelling. And everybody seemed to have the same idea that the world was about to end in like four hours. <laughs> and at that point, I actually started going, oh, shit, did I miss Gage? Are we about to experience the apocalypse? Little did I know that, um, you know, it was already the next day in places like Australia <laughs> and we weren't hearing anything on the news yet. Uh, I didn't think about it from that angle at all. I just simply closed my eyes when that when that countdown happened. And when I opened them, everything went on as usual. It, the reason that I'm bringing up Y2K is last week, Bob and I had a great conversation about the movie Leave the World Behind, but that was a very last minute choice. We were going to be talking about um, our predictions for the future. We we're going to do kind of a New Year's episode. And I was going to talk about Y2K in the beginning. Um, I don't I don't specifically remember why, but that was what I was going to be talking about here. And um, then after we were done re-recording, we were done recording. I went upstairs. Everyone was asleep. And I threw on the TV. And there was this brand new documentary on HBO Max about Y2K. And between that synchronicity and the fact that I was thinking, yeah, I want to do an episode about Y2K, I'd like to talk to someone from another country, and I'd like to talk to someone who's slightly younger than us or older. And then I happened to run into our good friend, Drew Misson, here on the internet, and he was interested in talking at this time, too. So I said, okay, it's all lining up. We're going to talk about Y2K tonight. So welcome to Are We Content? Tonight, we may or may not have Bob... <laughs> He has, he has disappeared temporarily. He is, uh, he's driving while he's, while he's talking. So he's not with us in this very moment, but he might pop right back in. Otherwise I have Drew missing from your missing the point podcast. Drew, how you doing tonight? Good mate. Good. How ironic is it that Bob drops out when we're talking about internet outages and Y2K? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How serendipitous. It really is. It's, it's one of those things you hear it on podcasts all the time. People start breaking up when they're really getting to the truth, when they're really <laughs> starting to say something. And yeah, there's a part of my mind that every time goes, yep, they're throttling it. <laughs> uh, what, so I laid what it a all good out. Amount of, sorry, oh, go what ahead. a good amount of hindsight this is looking back at Y2K now yes. after the, the film that is um, Leave the World Behind and all this talk at the moment in the conspiracy world about 12 days of darkness and outages and communication breakdowns. You look at the level of technology today, we're in this mindset of, oh, yeah, that could totally happen now. But you look back at Y2K and the time of 2000, sure, we had computers and we had the internet, but not everything was integrated into the digital world yet. A lot of the infrastructure was still running on analog systems. Mm -hmm. So the fear that I had back then as a kid who really didn't understand it is completely gone now when you actually understand that most of the system would have kept going because it's physically ran by people at the time through analogs and not integrated into the system back then. On the other hand, it is today. Everything's integrated into telecommunications. It really is. We're actually in a position like what I was reminded by watching that documentary. Um, a lot of people were feeling that we were in a position in 1999 that we really weren't in yet. Um the documentary I watched, um, it was it was kind of good. Um, I don't know if I really recommend. Well, yeah, I recommend it to, to everyone um, because it doesn't speak at all. It's just news clips. It is it's like an hour and forty minutes of news clip, news clip, news clip, starting in like nineteen ninety five, 
and it works its way all the way to like late January of 2000. And I was really, really being reminded as to the level of fear that they were putting into people. Uh, newscasters sitting there talking about um, how difficult this problem is. We have to fix this problem, which is that, which we should state in case anyone has no idea what Y2K was. It was that computers were built, a lot of computers were built with a two digit year. Uh, so the 19 was just assumed and then 81, 82, 83, all the way through to 19, the 19's assumed 99. And then it was going to turn to zero. And they told us, they were telling us that one of the most like basic things that were, were said over and over again, were you're going to go to make your insurance payment and it's going to look like you're 100 years behind on your insurance payment. You're going to go, you're going to start getting billed for like these huge numbers. And, you know, as I think about that now, I'm just like, well, that wouldn't happen. I mean, they might, that glitch might happen, but they're not going to charge you $90,000 for your $3 payment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you're not going to, you're not going to accumulate that level of interest that you owe on a loan, you know, any of these things like, you know, that would have just been, that could have been handled on the ground, but they had new newscasters. There was one standing on a bridge and he was comparing this problem to in a computer. Each computer is represented by one of the bolts on this bridge. And to fix the problem, we have to replace every single bolt on this bridge. That's a difficult task, but we could manage it. However, this is every bolt in every bridge within the next five months, every bridge in the world, <laughs> you know, just making it seem like this is an impossible thing to fix. And all of that was fear mongering, <laughs> like 100%. I don't know about this specific newscaster that was doing that. You know, he was probably just reporting what he was told to report. But uh, there certainly wasn't an infrastructure problem that needed to be fixed like that. And they took this all the way to the point where by December of 1999, they were telling us that it was very possible that all the planes were going to fall out of the sky. Like that was one of the actual concerns that people were mongering out there. That's <laughs> what I vividly remember. Oh, yeah. I mean, trains weren't going to run anymore. It really, it would probably look a little like the uh, leave the world behind as that ship's navigation stopped working and ships were crashing, you know, planes were flying. I mean, like really there was a little bit of that, what our fear was of Y2K was represented in that movie. Absolutely. Well, it was all, it was all nonsense, right? Like I remember the time and I didn't really know computers. I thought computers were this stupid, you know, fad that wasn't going to last really and I was just like, this is all retarded. Like, 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 oh, the world's just going to stop and everything's going to fall a fucking part because of some computer program. I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, and we, we went and partied on 6th Street for, yeah. you know, December 31st, 99, and everything was fine down here. There wasn't really any panic or anything. Um, I mean, I guess it's because, I mean, we had just, not really thought too much about it mm -hmm. yeah if you didn't think too much about it it wasn't going to be a big deal but the news was trying to make everyone think about it and it was 
at a time when a lot of people didn't understand, like you just said, Bob, they didn't understand what a computer is exactly. And they started going, oh, shit, everything electronic is kind of like a computer. So maybe like everything this wasn't represented in this in this documentary at all. I'm just trying to get inside the heads of specifically someone who's in their 70s in 1999. And they're going, wow, you know, computers, they're doing more and more. I hear all the time how they're doing more and more with computers. Are the doors still going to the automatic doors at a grocery store still going to open? I mean, those are electronic. Uh, you know, is my telephone going to work? Is is this going to work? Is that going to work? Am I still, is my plumbing still going to work? Because I'm sure they use computers on the plumbing somewhere, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it started really feeding on everybody going, oh man, we've let computers take over our lives and we don't really know what that means. And I think that's why the fear was able to be drummed up so easily. Fast forward to today and technology really has taken over our lives, but it really truly hadn't yet at that point so like the the fear would be more reasonable today if they said on 20 on january 1st 2024 that everything was going to fail that would have made more sense in a way this was a time where technology was still in its infancy for the most part when it comes to the digital space and the digital world that no one was really talking about this on the internet it wasn't very big amongst the conspiracy realm of people and realistically, the only people talking about it were the establishment media. Mm-hmm. And in Australia's case, this is the time when we still only had five TV channels, five period, nothing else. We didn't really have satellite or anything in the country. We had majority two newspapers per state. Everyone was talking about it. the culture that is America exported that fear and the knowledge of Y2K and Australian media ran with it. Mm-hmm. And I can remember being a kid of 12 turning 13 that year that I knew what was going on, but I couldn't comprehend it. And that's what put the fear into me at the time, because I can remember even like really well-known TV shows at the time, like Sliders with Jerry O'Connell, where they jump from one dimension to another. One of the episodes in the months leading up to Y2K was they jumped into a world that had experienced Y2K. And you saw planes falling out of the sky and you saw this disastrous after effect of it. And I can just remember being a kid going, oh my God, this is going to happen at the end of the year. Oh, what's going to happen? It just drove the fear so hard with media in Australia at the time. Oh, that seems so point, so on point there, Drew. Like that's that's it exactly. Um, you know, to, to put a little context into it that I knew at that time from, from my dad and his experience working on computers back in the 60s, he said it made total sense to do the two did two date that uh, two digit date at that time because, like I said, the, the computer took up a whole room. You know, uh, there were a few computers in the world. They were all at like universities or major labs and things like that, and they took a lot of space. And those two digits actually, according to him, made a difference. And this is a guy who spent two years of his life organizing three by five cards, each of which had one hole punched in them in a measured out spot that they would put into a slider and they would flip through it like a deck of cards being shuffled and a light would shine through it and something would read where those lights, where the light shines and these would represent, I guess, ones and zeros. So to add a couple extra digits actually would have been a lot more work, would have been more tedious, more work. It was kind of a workaround. And then the same was kind of true with early computing of that the memory that it take took to take up those two digits 
you know, would, I remember him putting dollar values on it of like, uh, you know, it costs an extra $5 per unit and that all adds up and, you know, that they would, they would save money for a while, but then it kind of went too long, I guess. And then that's when people in the nineties started to realize that, oh my gosh, all these things are made with the two digit date. However, just like today, we have updates on things. They were able to patch most of these and they actually didn't patch most of them from what I've read about a little. Um, like most of the, it was less than, I think I read 23% of schools in America got the patchwork done. The other ones didn't, and they felt no repercussions from it at all. <laughs> right. Well, it's like right? uh, the movie Office Space, right? It, the, like their job in the movie Office Space is um, writing software to correct to um, from 99 to 2000. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, Inatech was a company where, like, your the main character—I forget his fucking name—but yeah. um, he, that's what he did. He he says it. He's like, yeah, I write software for the change in two thousand. When was that movie? Was that in the nineties? That it was, was in pre, the nineties. It was pre Y two K. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. See, that's all part of the the overall propaganda. That's how big that propaganda was, was that people were making movies that <laughs> included it as a as part of the plot. It was just part of our world, particularly well, in 99. Prince wrote a song, Party Like It's 1999, you yeah. know, kind of about, hey, we're partying like it's the end of the fucking world. I was so sick of that song in December of <laughs> 1999 because you couldn't go anywhere without hearing it (laughs) a car with their stereo up loud was guaranteed to be playing it (laughs) you know it was just anywhere you would turn you walk by a bar that song's coming out of there it's funny that you mentioned that there's no actual real repercussions for not patching or updating the software there's a real world example in my town where it's a small family community business where they didn't do it and all that happened was every time they printed out their documentation or um, billing expenses, things like that, the date was listed as zero. So they'd have to write in two zero zero before it, like with mm-hmm. a pen. And then the next year it was year one and they'd have to write two zero zero one. They were just yeah. so tight. They didn't want to pay for the update. That mm-hmm. All it did was change the date in the system. It didn't affect it. anything else. That's it. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the ones that didn't get updated from what I was reading this morning, um, they didn't have they didn't have the problem that was being said at all. In fact, it added an extra digit, and it went to one nine one zero zero as the date, nineteen one hundred instead of nineteen hundred is what you know was kind of really it was being assumed it would go to zero, but it just went to a hundred. It just kept counting up from there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like what? So okay, we don't need to sit here and drive in really hard how it wasn't going to, we, we can all agree it wasn't going to do anything. And we can probably pretty well agree that the people who were in charge knew that it wasn't going to do anything. My dad knew it wasn't going to do anything with his level of experience. And the, the people who were running the companies, they, they really knew it wasn't going to do anything. But I think that our predator elite class really liked this idea. I think they really wanted to, I believe at this moment in time, 
and I don't know what the exactly the stress was, but this Y2K was all a stress test on the public to see how we would react, to see what we would do in a leave the world behind or cyber polygon type situation. And they got to see just how far we were pushed. I think that they learned things for 9-11. I think they learned things for what they did with COVID as well. Um, because they, they, I think it was all data collecting on the predator class to try and figure out mm, how far can we put, how, how much stress can we put on these people? Was it also a case of lulling people into a false sense of security? Because even before 2000 in the nineties and the lead up to 2000, there was still a lot of people who were apprehensive about using computers in their businesses and their lives in general. It was mm-hmm. that make or break situation. And it's almost as if Y2K was like you said, that psychological test to see how people would handle a collapse. And when it didn't happen, it kind of justified that everyone should buy into it. It's safe. It didn't collapse. There's built-in things that we can always account for. There's nothing that's an issue with it. And you fast forward what, 26 years or more into the future, it's integrated into everything, but at a point technologically where if the telecommunication system were to go offline, things like water, electricity, power, that stuff would be vulnerable now. Yeah. But it Plane, wasn't planes in the sky for, I, I believe at this point, you know, radar and things like that might not be functioning right anymore at this point in time. Yeah. Well, and it coincided with the, uh, with the dot-com boom. Yes. Dot-com yeah, boom it, happened right after, right? Right. Like, and that's what Drew's saying. Kind is, of that was happening at the same time. This, this allowed that to truly usher in and be a time for that. There's a few, there's a few angles that I see. One is what Drew just made. Another one is um, preppers are crazy. It made a lot of preppers look very crazy. It made people who believe in the apocalypse, et cetera, you know, like, hey, guys, it didn't happen. And kind of coinciding with that one, too, is it made putting a date on the apocalypse look crazy as well. You know, that we can't we can't predict these things. And I, I really pushed the-, the Nostradamus back then, too. I can remember lots of Nostradamus talk oh, about yeah. he predicted yeah. the end of the world in the year 2000, the turn of the century, sure. all that type of stuff was being spoken about. Sure. I, I remember as well, people talking about the Mayan calendar being incorrect at that time. And that really it was supposed to be at 2000, but that we miscalculated their calendar or vice versa or whatever. Um, it also, let's see, what else, what else did it do? It, um, well, I think the I think really Drew, you hit the really big one of that it put our minds at ease. Because that's the case with the with the date and the and the preppers too. It put our minds at ease that those people are crazy. We don't need to listen to them. That we can move forward with this technology boom that was already happening and about to really happen. Like Bob said, the dot com the dot com bubble was right after that. Um it went from, in 1999, a lot of people didn't know what a computer was exactly. 2003, everyone knows what a computer is, but not everyone has one. Still, we, we could say not everyone has a computer, but we by 2010 or so, that's when we all started having a computer of sorts in our pocket. That's when we started to, that's when we just had to say, oh, no, 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 this is the way of it. It's all... It's all digital from here on out. We don't need physical media. We stream. We keep our stuff in our pocket. 
Um, and I think that, I mean, we couldn't, I don't think we could have done that in 1999 because not enough people thought that computers were that great <laughs> yet at that time. Well, and, and yeah, they weren't, we weren't securing it. Right. And so mm-hmm. that was the big, that was the big psyop was to sell everybody that they are super unstable that, you know, they could crash at any minute with this tiny little glitch and then nothing happened. And everybody was like, Oh, okay. And then everybody, it's a lot easier to get everybody on board with it. Yeah. It's so, it's so true. It's, it's what it put a lot of guards down. I think a lot of people yep. put their guard down. A lot of people, like I said, at the beginning of this, I was pro technology at this time. And that was a little against the grain in the countercultures that I ran in. Um, and by 2010, none of that counterculture was anti-technology um, in that in that 10 year period of time. And, and how think- quickly did that technology boom in that time? I can remember being in 2001, my first year of high school, and every single assignment I had to save would be on a floppy disk still. Mm-hmm. And it'd have to be multiple floppy disks because the space that they had internally for storage wasn't that high, but the projects would be so long. Then we're in the space of a year or two after that, we're burning things onto CDs. And after that, we're getting like towards the end of my high school education, we're up to smartphones. Like the first iPhones were starting to come out. It rolled in real fast. Very quickly. And there's something to that if you think from... Uh, like my conspiratorial mindset of that maybe they had a lot of this technology before this time that it did that it wasn't a organic unfolding of it and it was right that they were holding on to it and they're saying we can't unleash this yet then they do their little stress test or we could say big stress test of y2k and then they said okay we can start doing it but we can't do it overnight it's going to take 10 years (laughs) which is basically overnight (laughs) right 10 years is a flash. It's a flash. I mean, especially if you can compare, you know, if we say 1970 to 2000 was this real slow crawl, (laughs) you know, it was people saying, oh, that's cool that you built this, but what's it for? It's a calculator. Hmm. I don't (laughs) even use a calculator. I just do math in my head. You know, I, I, I do my work on paper. That's fine. Um, but by, but then all of a sudden, you know, so we got that slow, slow, slow build up, that wind up for for all those years. And then suddenly we hit 2000. Everyone gets scared. Oh, 99. Everyone gets scared for a minute. Oh, then we all take a deep breath, a sigh of relief. Ah, oh, the world didn't end. Cool. Let's boot that computer right back up. I can't wait for it to get smaller. I can't wait for it to, to me not have to use this keyboard, you know? And we worked our way right into the end of your high school years there where suddenly everything is at our fingertips, (laughs) literally. And it almost feels like we're at that stage again of the the point between the 70s to the 90s where it was kind of that slow stagnation where things were creeping up slowly and just gradually adding on to itself. It seems like we're at that point now because we get the new iPhone every couple of years or a new computer comes out, but essentially it's the same technology. You might get a little bit more memory, a few more cameras, some higher resolution. Fundamentally, there's not the big change that we saw from the 90s to 2000. Yeah. So it really concerns me what the next big thing is. And the next big thing is probably going to be that 10 years where everything goes into hyperdrive. Right, right. 
yeah it's um it's all very fascinating because um well you know i want to i want to fold covid back in for just a second because um as anybody listening to this uh it should be aware i'm a, I'm a huge fan of the band in quotes in air quotes band negative land they do the music that's the intro to this i often use them on the outro and i really really liked the stuff that they put out in 2019 and 2020 and i thought it was so on point for what was going on in the world all this their, their musical style is to take audio isolations of different people talking recontextualize them sometimes put a beat to it and make it kind of funny but those ones that came out right before and right after uh the covid in quotes covid pandemic started were i like i really but man these guys have their fingers on the fucking pulse holy shit well i'm also an obsessive negative land listener and they have like ten thousand hours worth of music out there uh the, the internet archives have well over 5,000 5, hours of their um, radio program that they do once a week. And I'm always combing through that and looking for stuff. After falling in love with those albums, I found a recording on their from their radio show from the year 2000 that I listened to. And I was being, my mind absolutely fucking split open that a bunch of those isolations that I'm enjoying in 2020, they were using them in live shows and, and, and on the radio back in 2000. And as I start to contextualize where they got these from, they didn't have anything to do with COVID. They were all about Y2K. And I went, Oh shit. Yeah. They're talking about the fucking supermarkets being empty. They're talking about all these things that were really, really on point for 2020, but they're, but those recordings were actually snagged back in 1999, 98 through 2000. And I went, oh, right. Y2K was, was it was a big deal. I mean, even if it wasn't at the end of it, because that's the, that's the real kicker in this, is that on January 3rd, everyone went, oh, yeah, that was nothing. It was a spectacular failure. It was all just hype. Another thing that comes right to my mind with saying that is that a big lesson that we all could have learned right then was that it was all fake news, that it was the media lying to us, but nobody learned that lesson. Everyone just went, whew, sigh of relief. We made it. Yeah. Well, this is still a time where people trusted in establishment media and there weren't really any alternatives to it. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying is we, sh I should have, I should have at that point went, oh yeah, I'm not listening to the media anymore. They just they just got everyone that hyped up over nothing. A nothing burger, hold the mayo, <laughs> you know. Uh, At an was... extreme level, right? Mm -hmm. I I remember being at that time where I just I thought it was fucking silly the whole time, and all these people are losing their mind, and it's just like, why is everybody going crazy? Guess what? You're gonna need to get up and go to work in the morning, or or go to class or whatever, you know, because I was in my early 20s at the time. And so I knew a bunch of people in college still at that point in time. And I was like, man, y'all are still going to have to go to class tomorrow. Like, <laughs> you're still going to have to go to work. You're still, the world, the world's still going to continue. Like, what do you think that everything's going to fall apart? No. 
and so we we drove to Austin and partied. Um, I actually I have a very vivid memory of my uh, December thirty first, nineteen ninety nine, because I ended up having to babysit a drunk friend of mine, and I didn't even get to do the countdown or anything. My my buddy got so hammered, we got kicked out of the bar, and all my I couldn't find my other friends, and I had to take him back to the apartment, and I was so pissed. I was so mad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it was that mindset of everybody losing their mind that made me really question it. Right. Even though I felt firm all the way up until I saw those grocery store shelves and I saw people losing their minds that night. I mean, really just letting loose, letting loose in the West best way you can imagine. People always should let loose like that. <laughs> they wouldn't, they wouldn't be as crazy if they always let loose like that. But <laughs> um, well, well, how's hit this for a take then Chud? We spoke about the idea of Y2K was like um, luring people into a false sense of security so the, the big tech boom could take off. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, COVID did that for the surveillance state. Yes. Prior to 2019, supermarkets, green grocers in Australia, they really didn't have a huge lot of surveillance. They might have had a camera at the front and maybe the odd camera in the aisle. But in the space of four years, we've now got sensor doors at entrances and exits we've got trolleys that can be locked out if you're deemed to be stealing cameras on self-checkouts self-checkouts predominantly everywhere with no interaction from real people cameras on the shelves that register what you're shopping and what you're picking up drop pins on freezers and fridges that prevent people from stealing in the case of a flash mob we've got this huge amount of surveillance security that's kind of been ushered in during covid while people are so worried about the air that the surveillance state is here now. It's almost packaged up in as a way it's for your health and safety. We need to have all these cameras and these means of tracking people to make sure that you didn't have the coof. It's, and uh, it's here to stay now. It was a direct literal narrative at the time that the surveillance state is the only thing that will save us from COVID. Um, it was through the term contact tracers. You guys remember that term? I don't know if they used that one in Australia oh, or not. Oh, they did. They yeah. sure did. Yeah, okay. Um, there were people, I I know an individual who actually signed up to be a contact tracer because he was so concerned for the fate of humanity. And I I, I said, well, that's pretty 1984. You know, I made some snide remark. <laughs> and they got very serious and they said, the surveillance state is the only way out of a situation like this. And that particular person too, used to be anti-surveillance <laughs> you know but they but they had come around all the way to that by that point and truly yes aside from just the surveillance surveillance goes along with almost all forms of technology nowadays but like you said it was taking out the person-to-person contact so suddenly we have more surveillance on gosh i don't know what the uh, here's a terrible example. Uh, at McDonald's, we now have surveillance over what you're thinking about buying because you're sitting on a touch screen going, maybe I want the extra large fries. No, no, I'm going to downgrade. You know, and you, they can watch your thought process as you touch all these these buttons. Whereas before, if you took a while to order, the person that's standing there waiting for your order is annoyed, but it's all in your head. <laughs> And nobody knows what you were going through, but now we have surveillance on your, on your ordering. And I know that's just a dumb example, but it's, it's all of these things that took the person out. Um, you know, 
it suddenly we're putting ourselves on display for our decision-making all the time. And that was very much pushed forward. It existed before COVID, but it was very much pushed forward during COVID. Yeah. To an extent we saw even in Australia, a huge amount of camera surveillance put at traffic lights and that was put under the whole ring of steel situation to make sure people weren't leaving their five kilometer bubbles. It takes a snapshot of your license plate, would send it back to HQ to let people know if they're outside their zone. Well, now that's just been turned into traffic management surveillance in which people are getting pinned for having their phones in their laps while driving, or if they're a few kilometers over the speed limit, it's just been retweaked and twisted into something that the state can use. And I think that was the intention always. Always. Oh yes. You just used the term ring of steel. I forgot that one. That was that was an Australian term? Yeah. Wow. I I'm sorry, Drew. I'm so so self-centered. <laughs> I forget how fucking bad you guys had that shit. Uh things got crazy in Australia <laughs> during that time. I I thanks to large part to you, but uh, uh I mean it was it went well beyond our little podcasting circle <laughs> during that time of how insane australia got I, I know this isn't uh related to the subject but how how is that on the front of covid itself do they talk about covid there anymore or did you guys move on and keep all the infrastructure that was brought in well all the infrastructure is there now to stay just yes. being used for other purposes um the idea of covid living with covid is kind of the new narrative but now they're pushing into this idea of long covid and long covid needs to be investigated and we should bring back mask mitigation because long covid's a, a lifelong disability now and we can't risk it and it's really they're obfuscating the idea of that it's vaccine damage or it's damage from your immune system being completely crushed now that's the real root cause but they're really pushing that idea that people are in denial about long COVID when really they're in denial about the vaccine rollout. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that sucks. They're keeping it on a string. They're going to yo-yo that right back whenever they, oh, they yeah. want. They're, they're doing it here too. I was listening to terrestrial radio while driving for a little bit today and they're talking about the, uh, the triple, triple pandemic, I think is what they're calling it with the influenza COVID and RSV uh, and they were talking about how vaccines are more important than ever. Oh, man, you can't listen to anything without hearing some kind of Pfizer uh, ad for some new vaccine. Or, I mean, and there's a million of them now, and they're all Pfizer. Mm -hmm. like, Pfizer has like 17 freaking COVID vaccines. And, and it's just, it's all so silly, man. And they're pushing on it real hard. Yeah, it's, it's very true. I just watched a movie with my sons, a little documentary about Scrooge McDuck. And uh, it was on one of those free free uh, Pluto TV or free VTV, one of those, um, you know, watch free with ads kind of things. And right. Every, every ad was either for like, uh, uh, there are so many Pfizer's and other drug companies. And then in between those, they sprinkled in 5G ads from T-Mobile and Verizon. And that was that was like it for the whole you know it's an hour and a half movie we watched it for two hours because of these ads half hour of those sprinkled in there it's insane um well let's bring it back to y2k though because I, I i'm really fascinated by this wow. 
I'm I'm really I'm really fascinated at the at the idea of the similarities between the two. Um but in general, like I'm still trying to wrap my head around and I don't I don't know how to wrap my head around. Um there were as per that documentary I watched, they talked to a lot of preppers and a lot of survivalists who were made to look quite smart. I might say they, they looked like they were doing the right thing. Um, they, people who were moving away from the cities and in particular, there was like one computer programmer that they talked to on the news and he was saying how he knew that everything was going down. And that's why he had moved out to the rural County and was raising chickens and things like that. And they did a poll I can't remember what the percentages were, but it was like fairly low of people having concern about Y2K at that time. Uh, and certainly like, I don't even think they asked how many people were thinking about leaving the, the large metropolitan areas, but then they interviewed that guy again in like something like September of 1999. And they were telling him, looks like you were right. People thought you were crazy back then, but it looked like you were right. And they showed a new poll that showed like 12% of people were looking at leaving the cities. Um, you know, more than 50% of people were certain that something bad was going to happen. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to wrap my head around is what happened to those guys? It would be really grand if all of them continued on that path. Was was there a new, was there a, a, a whole wave of survivalists slash preppers slash homesteaders that were born in 1999. I feel like I've never heard of that. Like, I feel like I've never felt that I've met a lot of people because that's like how I live now. And I meet a lot of other people who live like me and I have never had anyone say it all started in 1999. What do you guys think happened to these guys? Well, either they would have doubled down or it would have been that situation in which it proved to be false and a lot of them probably would have gone, Oh, there's nothing really to worry about. I may have just gone on and become a normie, put this tie suit and tie back on, went back to work. But I've got to think about this thought experiment. I'm sorry to jump in with this one. Please. What would have happened if COVID occurred in 2000 and Y2K were to happen in 2019? Now, I don't think the infrastructure was there for the government to be as draconian as they were with COVID back then the technology wasn't there there was a lot more militias still existing in america at large scale numbers if they ever tried to do a covid in 1999 i think they would have had a huge almost uprising against tyrannical yes. government it was yes. a big thing being spoke about in general in in the us but today if you did the whole y2k scenario i think you've got the potential to scare more people because we're so integrated Right. Everything's literally connected. More people have a greater understanding of technology and how it works that they can see the fear that the movies like Leave the World Behind put out. So if they did Y2K in 2019, I think you really could have had a collapse of society in a negative way that they didn't want because they wanted control. And the right. same thing if you put COVID in 1999, it would have had a collapse that they couldn't control. So they yeah. had to stagnate them in a storyline, prepare people with Y2K so that they could roll out COVID. Well, something else well, that occurs it's, all, to me. it's all it's all like uh like chud always talks about it's incrementalism they <laughs> they do these little tests these little you know let's see where society is with each one of these things 
and they do it with technology, they do it with viruses, they do it with societal collapse and uh, terrorists and, and all of this stuff. And they test out these little boogeymen all the time. And they tested out boogeymen in the 90s. I mean, we had SARS, we had, um, like, was it Zika or West Nile, West Nile in the mid to late 90s? Like, they've done all of these, and they just didn't get the panic that, that they wanted. And so I think it was like, okay, not yet. And so they put, you know, uh, Y2K out there. And they were like, okay, technology's not there. Can't do that yet. Not enough. It's not going to scare enough people. And so they've done this until they know when it's going to be able to scare people. And that's when they implement the plan. Yeah. It's um, something I said a whole lot back in 2020, specifically in 2020, towards the beginning of all of that, um, was, oh, man, they could never pull this off if we didn't have Zoom. Um, I think a whole lot of parents would have said, nope, you're not just telling my kids they can't go to school because that would have happened in 2000, right? If they said, right, if they just said nobody's going to school, uh, we'll figure it out later. <laughs> you know, we'll, 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 fit, we'll make it up. We swear, but we're just going to take a year off school, but they didn't take a year off school. They took a year off going to school, but they were able to do it through zoom, um, I, it, I was, well, this was then, before I started podcasting and I said, I will never fucking use zoom. Cause I know that that's part of all this happened. Right. right? Well, now, we, isn't zoom owned by like China, somebody <laughs> like, like Google or something like CERN, that. But, CERN owns everything, man. Um, <laughs> but, but at the same time, it's like, um, they wouldn't have been able to just shut down schools. They had to do it where. You know, because if you shut down schools and say, okay, kids can't go to school and parents still have to go to work, parents are going to be like, uh, no, I pay my taxes. You, I still have to go to work. What the fuck am I supposed to do with my kids? Mm -hmm. Um, and so they had to shut down everything. It all had to come down well, for it all, no, for that plan to work. Maybe this is no, all storyboarded out. Maybe it's been oh, thought I'm about sure it is. well in advance of that we needed to scare people in 2000 to make them then have a to, to then usher in the dot com and the smartphones and then we can give them zoom then we can give them face-to-face -face constant communication then we can hit them with a stay-at-home order because then we can get away with that yeah Drew. Right. could you imagine in 99 if the government because we didn't have the level of uh, telecommunications like we do now right we've established this if they tried to pull off COVID in 1999, you would have bubbles of people that would have formed quick resistance and there wouldn't have been the ability for family members or more informed people, air quotes, to talk them down. We saw that during COVID. We saw people go, you know what, I'm, I disagree what the government's doing. I'm going to go protest. And in a lot of cases, people go, no, no, it's for health and safety. They're super spreader events, blah, blah, blah. They threw all the propaganda at people and they changed their mind. If you didn't have that telecommunication back in 99, you would have had isolated bubbles of people push back very, very hard. Right. Yeah. Well, and it, that's why they had to have Trump in office when yeah. it happened. They had to. They had there's to a have storyboard, Trump he's on initiate it. They had to have him initiate it because if they would have tried to do what they did with a Democrat president in, in office, 
those gun-toting right-wingers would have not stood for that. But since it was dear old Daddy Trump, everybody was okay with it. Everybody was fine with it. It was like, oh, okay, Trump's Trump's got this. He he knows what's up. You know, he's talking about hydroxychloroquine, and you know these guys are going after him. So apparently, he's a good guy. You know, and you know Trump wouldn't do anything against us, even though he you know claimed the state of emergency and expanded um, the Patriot Act and all of these things that kind of. He did these things leading up to COVID that made it possible for them to do what they did. And nobody even, the, the Trump lovers don't even realize that he, he set up all those dominoes. Oh, yeah. It's so absolutely. crazy. I, I've long said that Trump was a very key factor in being able to usher in COVID. And more so than him, the particularly the left's reaction, the, the allergic reaction that so many people had to him. But you know what I just thought of as you're, as you're saying that, Bob, what if Y2K wouldn't have worked if we didn't have Al Gore as vice president through that time, who was claiming to have invented the internet himself, who was um, right. He, he was, he was very tech forward, I think would be a way you could describe him. Um he he was out making speeches all the time about how yes technology is taking over and that's a good thing <laughs> you know <laughs> uh if people didn't have uh what would it be seven years of of hearing a vice president talk like that um would they have been as willing to buy the idea that planes are going to fall out of the sky because of computer glitch i love this idea of storyboard it's already storyboarded out because that's the ultimate way of ensuring they have controlled chaos if it was a situation where Hillary was president at that time instead of Trump, that would have been chaos they couldn't control. Because like Bob said, you would have had a whole heap of gun-toting rednecks, MAGA people who were already pissed off, pushing back against a government they would have deemed as being totalitarian. But because it was their guy in office at the time, it was a non sequitur. They didn't have to raise their arms against what was going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It was very trust the plan, right? Oh yeah, it was, it was the whole plan fucking agenda. <laughs> well, I think that's what it's all of so this crazy. is. Every bit of it is just trusting plans, right? I mean that that's that's our. I mean, anytime you're trusting the system, anytime people are trusting the system, I I believe that they are trusting a plan, not just a not just a i guess i want to say plan anyway but uh not just an idea of where we want to nudge things but instead a a dead set storyboarded plan and we're going to make it go this way well wasn't it fdr that said nothing happens in politics by accident it's all part of a well-organized plan like that's that's it people don't understand that this has been storyboarded possibly for fucking eons uh -huh. This is this is a long term plan. These people that rule everything have have this all planned out like hundreds of years in advance. If you watch what is it, um, the network, right? Um, it's a movie from that was made in I think sixty eight. Okay, oh. and the idea is that they. This, this big news organization calls this guy in for an interview and he's this big time journalist guy and they call him in and they're like, okay, um, 
we brought you in to help us plan the news for 1973. And he's like, wait, what? And he's like, the dude's like, yeah. Um, so we plan all the news ahead of time and we want your help to plan the news five years from now. And that's the whole, like, that's the whole concept of this movie is that there's this, you know, there's different branches that control different things and the network is what controls the news. And there's like six branches of this, this oligarchy and the movie is about the network and how they control all of the things that people see. And this dude walks through these um these scenarios that they're setting up and it's like the moon landing and satellites <laughs> and, and it's like all of this shit that's completely fake that they're planning out and this movie was from 1968 yeah, and okay. it's showing that they they plan it all out ahead of time i think i so, know what you're talking about i've definitely not seen seen it but i think i've seen clips of this where they're talking about that they faked the moon landing i think they talk about that they faked nukes yep. and some other things and the guys being it, it's like they're explaining to someone who's not been privy that this is what we've been doing and the guy's going well no 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 i can't comprehend this like what are you, you you're telling me these things and yeah i remember because they say that they faked the moon but it was before when i looked into what it was it was like this is from before they in quotes they went to, to the moon, moon. <laughs> right. you know Right, and they, they end up blackmailing this guy. This guy's like, hell no, I don't want any part of this bullshit. And they end up blackmailing this guy because they have a chip in him that listened to all his shit, and they blackmail him because of his mistress through this chip that he got implanted in him when he got his appendix out. Well, so if, if this is an idea like a storyboard and a movie, essentially, and I hate using that terminology because it sounds like so Q-esque and everything's a stage yeah, and yeah, it's a yeah. movie. To a degree, it probably is. So if it's a storyboard, there's a mechanism that's used in cinema, planting seeds or planting ideas that help drive the story later on. Foreshadowing. Objects, yeah, that could be things in the background. There can be um, background noise or dialogue, things you don't act instinctively pick up on, but you hearken back to it, you go, oh, they were talking about that at the start of the movie. Is Y2K then the planting of a seed for something they want to set up in our future? Well, there's, there you in, go. In, in films, there's also things called MacGuffins, which is a hole in the plot. And I think a lot of these things are, are MacGuffins. They're just there. Some people recognize them and go, wait a minute, that never played out. And other people see it and then don't recognize that it was this thing that never ended up happening. Right. Well, you know, as we as we keep using this storyboard analogy here, it's really making me go, well, you know, we could interchange that with the with the term incrementalism that I that I use so often. You know, it's it's not necessarily storyboarded out, but they keep saying we got to keep running these stress tests of different sorts. We got to, we just got to keep pushing people. We got to see, you know, whether, whether it's Y2K and uh, cyber polygon or whether it's uh, Ebola scares and um, COVID scares, you know what I mean? We got to, we got, we try these things at different times with different presidents, you know, and not that I think the president fucking matters at all, but it's, it makes people think they're on different I, teams. 
They make sometimes people think they're winning, sometimes they think they're losing. And I, I think, think that, the president matters with who they're trying to sway or who yeah. they're trying to keep docile. You know, a target like, audience. To quote right, Monica right. Perez, it will take a Republican to take our guns away. I've heard Fuck her say yeah, it Trump's over, do and it over and over and over again. He's in office. Yeah, I, I think that's the Trump agenda. The next time he's in, it's it, it. They, I, I believe that they use the concept of the president to create winning and losing teams amongst people, and then yep. when people believe they're winning, that's when they can be brought down a notch, just a yep. notch, just an increment. Is it speaking on increments then? Is this whole idea of the MacGuffins that Bob's talking about and the fear porn of like, as conspiracy theorists, as a community, we have this really, really big ability that's to our detriment of looking at the most post apocalyptic outcome, the worst possible outcome. We black bill very easily. Are we so focused on these MacGuffins and things that may never eventuate because it distracts us from the small incremental things that will eventually lead to that anyway? Like, if we would stop the small increments, we stop the big thing from happening. But no one's focused on the small things. We're focused on the end result. So true. I mean, yep. part of what made me think all of this was Bob talking about that movie and talking about the microchip that listened to everything. And it's like, well, you know, we're there now. <laughs> our, our, our microchips are listening. Yeah, aside from the obvious here of that we're on Zoom, and we're recording this and sending it directly to CERN or China. I'm not sure which one uses uh, runs this technology. Aside from that, yeah, like we have phones that are in in within reach of us that are hearing us. We have, I mean, people are driving smart cars today, which means every conversation they're having in their car <laughs> is being picked up. At what point, if not already? Do those uh, do the the fancy new keys that you the 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 keyless cars where you just have it in your pocket and you hit a start button? Mm -hmm. You carry that with you everywhere. Is that got a microphone in it? You know, it's it's it might sound like a paranoid question, but I, it's a pretty good question. Well, and I think I think that's all a psyop too. Mm -hmm. I think that they can they can detect thought, like mm -hmm. I've. I have had things happen just when I thought about something that I think, I think again, it's they're, they're making it seem like, Oh, you know, your phone's listening to you. Man, these people have technology that can read our thoughts out of the ether. I'm open to you know, uh, my, my, my kids were watching frozen Two uh, last night, I guess. And Olaf says this thing, uh, in part of it where they're like, Hey, Olaf, what's that thing you always say? And he says two things that were astounding in this, in this one statement, he goes, Oh, that advancing technology is going to be both our savior and our doom. And then they're like, no, 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 not that one. And he goes, Oh, that water has passed through us all at least four times. And it has a memory and it remembers everything. This was in a in frozen movie. Yeah, man. Damn, I knew there's even, a reason I hadn't watched those. Even dude, to a Frozen is legit, man. <laughs> is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, even to dude, a lesser extent, badass. Even to a lesser extent, you're talking about the idea of they can read your mind, essentially. So even the algorithms in advertising can preempt what you want to buy now just by things you're looking at. And you don't even yeah. know it yet yourself. You can look yeah. at one small piece of a puzzle and they can already pre-predict the next five steps you're going to take into what you want oh, to yeah. buy. 
It's, well, they, um, they can read our thoughts, man. I, the first time I realized it was I was literally just thinking in my head about wanting to show my oldest son, which was the only kid I had at the time. Um, I was like, man, I'd really like to show him all the Saturday morning cartoons and shit that I watched. I just, I just was doing something and just had this thought. And then 10, 15, 20 minutes later, I pick up my phone and I go to Facebook or something. And the very first ad is for this app that I'd never seen before called Boomerang. And it's all old cartoons. Oh, I know Boomerang. And it, I'm, a, I, I'm a Boomerang. That's fan. what I was like. Yeah, I, that's when I was like, oh, shit, they're reading my thoughts. Yeah, well. I, I believe that that's completely possible. I did. I saw an interview um, in clip form. I don't know how legit it was. Uh, so I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about it, but at the same time, it was, it was real fascinating. It was someone who, do, who works in targeted advertising. And they were saying that they gain access to a portal to watch people's screens. And he was talking about PCs specifically. So he could see the mouse that's hovering over. I guess you guys can't see. I'm hovering my mouse over the screen right now. He could see where that goes. And he can sit and watch and analyze what people are thinking. And he was very proud to say he knows what you're thinking better than you do when he watches you from this angle. Because he sees where you're hovering. He doesn't even see your face. He's not looking at your webcam. He's just looking at what you're... Your, your mouse, you're on Amazon or whatever. I think he worked for Amazon or said he did. Um, and he could see, oh, you're looking at this one. And then you scoot over to this one and he could see, he could see your thought process and they can right. time out how long you're over each one. So they can have a better idea, especially less individual products where it's a whole bunch of the same product say, uh, from different brands and stuff. But in general, what you're thinking about buying he, he felt confident that he would know what the person he's looking at wants to buy more than they do. Well, people don't understand the massive amounts of money that these giant corporations sink into these kind of predictions. They want to know what you think so they can sell you exactly what you want so they can control you. Like, mm -hmm. these major companies... They go down to the colors in advertising, how long the ad is, you know, how long it cuts from one scene to the next. There's there's all these deep, deep researches that go into all of this stuff, the psychological shit that reacts with it so they can manipulate you and then cater to you. Um, so you just become a better consumer for their, <laughs> for their empowerment. The deeper side of advertising is one of the threads that started uh, to pull me away from to crumble my my uh, beautiful idea of libertarianism that I had at one point in time was to start to realize just how manipulative ads can be and that that's all that's all within the free market, you know, um, but is it do I think that it's OK to manipulate people into buying things that they don't need or rather even more so convince them of what they do need you know i don't know it right. starts to it starts messing with my 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 moral code at that point and then i start thinking well maybe i can't just be pro 
pro market period, <laughs> you know? Um, and we're, we're getting a little off from, from the Y2K, but that's okay. There's no, <laughs> there's, there's no rules on this show, but we are coming up on the, on the end of our time. Um, do either of you guys have anything more on the specific Y2K subject that you'd like to get out at this time? I would just say that whenever you see anything mainstream that is pushing you to be scared, don't fucking fall for it. Yeah. Like, 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 and that's why I just tell people just, just be skeptical of literally everything. Um, you know, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who has a bunch of quotes that I love if he was even a real person. Um, but he has a quote that says, question boldly, even the existence of a God. Um, and I don't want to focus on the last part, but just the fact that you should question everything that's presented to you, everything that's presented to you, question it, test it, apply pressure to it. If it holds firm and seems like it's on solid ground, then you can trust it more. If it falls apart quickly or there's a lot of questions that can't be answered, fucking throw it in the trash can. But don't just fall for these fear-mongering bullshit because, you know, it's easy to manipulate people that are in an emotional state, whether it's mm-hmm. love or fear or happiness or anything. And when you're in a heightened state of emotion, it's easy to manipulate you. And they know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%, Bob. The truth can always take all the pressure. If it's true, you can put as much pressure against it as needed and it won't become untrue. Um, and that's and that's the problem with a lot of things is that people don't put pressure on it. They're told the truth. They believe a truth. They don't question it. They don't put the pressure on there and they don't allow it to come apart. And they just assume that all these truths are true. And I think it's extra extra important that people have a discerning eye when it comes to the fear mongering. If they're telling you to be scared, really question it. Yep. Yeah. From me, it's that's why 2k had to happen in 99. We're on a precipice culturally, technologically, the system was still trusted by the majority of people communications were in such a place that it allowed it to happen. I think that if it had occurred today, they wouldn't have had the control on the fear like they did back then. They were able to elicit enough fear in the population, get them to overcome the fear, to trust wholeheartedly in technology, to almost give a, give consent to roll it out across the masses in society on whole scale. It gave birth to technological boom like we've never seen in the past 50, 60 years. So it was just a perfect culmination of timing, culture, technology, people, the way we view the world. And it played out so well, like you eloquently put, Chad, that it was planned out. It was storyboarded. It's yeah. almost like it was meant to be. It's uh, As you were saying that, I wanted to pull up the storyboard one more time and say, yeah, <laughs> like you're saying, timing, all of it, the the whole thing. And I, I, you know, I'm even fascinated by what I... I'm fascinated by my own words all the time, but I'm fascinated by what I said about <laughs> Al Gore um, being there. You know, I don't know. It, it, it is. A, it could be a factor. I think I want to put a nail in this subject for now and call it call it done, except I'm not done. 
um, I, I kind of want to keep peeling at the layers of Y2K. I don't know if I'll find more, but um, I just I, one I, last I, thing to drop on you. Oh, yeah, just yeah. To, to stew on for the next couple of days. People loved Bill Gates back then. This is true. He this was a is... very popular guy for technology. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he, shit, man. Oh, God damn it. Okay. We're <laughs> going to start this over. We're going <laughs> to <laughs> hour two. Here we come. Uh, yes. Bill Gates kind of ushered in both of COVID and Y2K. He ushered in both of those situations that those negative land isolations seem to fit so very well for. That is absolutely worth noting. I, I, I wish we would have thought of that towards the beginning of this. I think that gives us more fuel for the next time we, we take on this subject, which, uh, which I hope to do in the future. So, all right. Well, we lost Bob. He's gone. <laughs> His, Y2K got him. Y2K. It was a little late. It was 24 years late, <laughs> but it finally caught up and Bob got cut off, but that's all right. I'm so glad he was able to join us, even though he was, he was having to uh, drive while he was talking. Uh, Drew, thank you so much for making this work. I know uh, we have such incredibly different schedules due to being on other sides of a globe, being on, on different sides of an ocean. I'm not sure what it is exactly. It is fucking mind-blowing to me, though, that it is tomorrow where you are right now. <laughs> I communicated with Bob this morning. I said, I said, yeah. I sent something to Drew, but it's like four in the morning tomorrow where he's at. Like, <laughs> how does that even fucking work? Really shows you how it's all a construct. But Drew, thank you so much for coming. And uh, I will bid you all adieu.
soul. I 